I live the kind of life that other people would just love to live if they only had the courage. Who's to say that the boy would be happier your way or mine? No, I'm afraid it don't work that way. He'll grab at the first flashy thing with shiny ribbons on him. Then when he finds out there's a hook in it, it's too late. Wrong ideas come packaged with so much glitter, it's hard to convince them that other things might be better in the long run. That means that you're inviting me to leave. That's right. Iowa needs good dudes. And they're out there, even though the world isn't telling their stories. Fathers who fill their homes with dad jokes. Leaders who are building the world they want their kids to live in. Men who love the battle of virtue, character, truth, and goodness. I'm Colt Russell Dyke, and in this podcast, I'm convinced that the best dudes in the world live in Iowa, and I'm on a quest to find these dudes so that I can tell their stories. In this episode, I interview Sean Bruhlman. Now, Bruhlman's a husband, a father, and a successful business owner who I think young men in particular have a lot to learn from. And I'll warn you at the beginning of this podcast, some of the topics in our conversation are difficult, challenging to navigate. So if you don't like difficult, challenging discussions, this is your out. But I didn't start this podcast to record easy conversations. So think with an open mind and prepare to navigate difficult topics like pornography, antidepressants, a victimhood mentality, what to do when you catch your kids speeding in a vehicle, and more. Everything sounds good, man. Can we just can we just jump into the Let's deep end it. right away? I'm I'm open to that. Here's okay, so here's the question I've been starting out. Everybody I've had on the podcast so far, I throw them into the deep end right away. Go for it. So I'm gonna do that with you, man. So in your personal opinion, what's it mean to be a good man? Yeah, well it's it's that's a difficult question. <laughs> that's why because, I like it right because because it's like why did you marry your wife in one sentence? It's like yeah. uh, <laughs> that's a multifaceted, but but right, right. I, I, some thoughts that came to my mind is that a good man is first and foremost humble. Yes. There has to be humility connected with a good man. Um, yeah, you might initially think, oh, he's, he's confident, he's strong, he's sure of himself, you know, take no prisoners, he has all the answers. Right. And though there's certainly an element of strength, I have found that the times that I respected my own father the most is when I saw humility in his life. When I saw him come and wow. say, hey, I, I messed up there, Dad. I, I messed up there, son. You know, what, would, you, would you forgive me for that? Was, was your relationship sprinkled with a lot of moments like that? Um, did you yeah, hear your dad say that quite a bit? I did hear my dad say that quite a bit. My dad, um, I was basically raised as an only child. There was 12 years between myself and my next oldest sibling. Okay. And uh, I think my dad was... 48 years old when I was born, 45, 48 years old when I was born. And so the typical play and catch, running and jumping around, we just, we just didn't have that. We didn't have that. Um, and so there was, there was, there were things that I didn't have growing up as a child that many other kids did, uh, especially with relationship with their parents. But, but it, it's overshadowed by the fact that I had a, a, a father 
who 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 struggled with anger. He did have a temper. No, okay. I was I was not yeah. abu- I was not abused. Right. I was not abused. But he had a loud voice. Okay. And he would uh yeah, he he would make me uh he'd make me tremble at times. But he quickly would come back and say he was sorry. And he would ask for forgiveness and uh he he would assure me that that he loved me. Mm-hmm. And so that has a tendency a, a a humble a humble father that recognizes his failures has a way of undoing a lot of mistakes or hurts that have been caused mm. there's just it's just yeah. an opportunity for grace to come in and there's reconciliation that happens uh when that when that acceptance of responsibility is there from a father so i'm curious i'm curious man like your father was a man who was at war with anger which makes him like the majority of men Mm-hmm. You know, that's the guardian emotion that the majority of men struggle with. And uh, so there's a great quote that pain that is not transformed is transmitted. Mm-hmm. And so you had a dad. He struggled with anger, but it's, he didn't give himself over to it. Like no. he fought against it. For sure. So did he transmit anger to you or did uh, you seeing him struggle with it transform it for you? Um, I think it was – well, it was – I saw the anger from him when I was, you know, being a bonehead. Yeah, I mean, it yeah, wasn't yeah. that he was just. It, it was not a situation like, uh, oh no, mom and dad are home. You know, uh, walking on eggshells, or if if you drop a plate, that all of a sudden, you know, there's fear that comes into my heart because dad's going to be upset with me or dad's going to punish me because I did something wrong. Yeah, um, yeah. the house wasn't built on thin ice. Yeah, exactly. The house was not built on thin ice. That's that's that, that's a great perspective. Um, but yeah, th- there was, there were those moments where, where I did see, you know, I did see that anger. And I think part of it came from, you know, he was in the war and m- my dad didn't talk about, he didn't talk about his time in the military. Um, the one, the one memory I have is, uh, I had high powered rifles growing up and I like shooting, okay. I like shooting at targets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I would set up watermelons in the field. And like at a hundred yards, I would shoot them with a high power. And it, I don't know if you know anything about what high powers do to watermelons, but just they, explode. They just right? disintegrate. Yeah. They disintegrate. And Dad was watching me shoot one time, and he said, uh, "That same thing happens when a man gets hit in the head." Oh. And that's the only time he really made reference uh, to his time to his time in the military. And I was like, "Ooh, oh. ouch! Yep, ouch!" I mean, that had to. A lot of times we just don't have a window into our father's. We head. just don't know, and 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 my father definitely came from that era oh. where you know you just you just don't talk about you don't talk about things that that right. concern you. you know, I had no idea what 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 my dad was fearful of. Yeah, uh, he didn't expose his weaknesses. You know, we didn't have that kind of relationship at all. But I know that I was I was grateful and I was blessed to have a dad that was quick. He was quick to ask forgiveness yeah when there would be a flash of it and 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 that's just the memory i have um I, i'm sure there were other things that he did that were that were uh you know that were deficient i mean every, every parent has that gosh yes. every parent yeah. has that but but they're just it's it's as if grace has just wiped them out of my mind mm-hmm. and i can just i can just remember um i can just remember his tenderness boy there's a lot there yeah Boy, there's and a lot there. yeah. and this is key as well. Tenderness toward my mom. Yeah. Okay. He was very tender toward my mom. Yep. 
Yeah. They they never got over the fact that they got engaged and then dad went to war. And they didn't know if they'd ever see each other again. Uh, and that that carried colored. that characterized them and that stuck with them through their whole marriage. Through their whole marriage. They always went back to, you know, <laughs> We we got engaged and then Dad went to war and didn't know if I'd ever see him again, and uh, that that was very impactful for for both of them, hmm. very much so. It sounds like your dad um, and your experience of him demonstrating humility is kind of at the bottom of your answer of what it means to be a good man. Humility. It 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 yes it is it, it's a foundation I believe because uh, yep. because it shapes so much else, um, and I think that there's many fathers that think that it shows weakness if they show humility. Yeah. When, when it, that that's not what it is at all. It, it takes, it takes courage. It takes strength. Um, and it takes a real confidence in that relationship to be able to say, Hey, guess what? I'm coming to you and I've messed up. Yeah, I mean, and, yeah. and here's the thing. If my dad did that to me, I know he was able to do that with my mom. Right. Because if, Speaking, speaking in my own experience, if I have a hard heart toward my wife or toward my kids, the other people in that relationship pay, pay the price as well. If I'm not willing to admit my faults with my kids, you can be darn sure I'm not willing to, to, uh, to accept and take responsibility for the weaknesses that I have in the relationship with my wife. Yeah, the way you do one thing is the way that you do everything. Exactly right. right. That's what they say. Exactly right. So... It reminds me of that phrase, a rising tide raises all ship. Yeah, yeah, I like it. You know, that. it's like yeah. when I'm, when, when, when the relationship with, with the wife is strong, the relationship has a much greater chance, at least, Gosh. of being strong with the kids as That's well. A, it's it's yeah, not, they're, they're not, they're not, they're not separate. They're not separate. Because if you're being, if you're being an arrogant prick toward your wife, you're probably going to be the same way toward your kids. Absolutely. Yeah. Man, that's a gr that's a great image for that. So let's. I want to jump in and hear just more about your life, man. So, yeah. Sean Bruelman, you're obviously your guy that I respect. You're a guy that I admire. You're a, a step two, three ahead of me. You love Jesus. You're a great business owner, and uh, that stuff interests me. And mm -hmm. you're you're a dad, and so that interests me too. You're a husband. That interests me too. So big picture question, and I want all of the greatest hits and highlights that you're willing to give us. How'd you become the man that you are today? Oh man! Not that you're a finished product, right? But right, yeah. I'm 52, and I'm still very much so a work in progress. But I, I guess what I would say is, time has given me perspective to look back and recognize. I mean, when when you're going through a life changing moment, you don't realize it's a life changing moment until you look back. Yeah, I yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, it's um, you really don't know what they are. And so as I look back and I reflect on my life, I think it has been some of the biggest things that have shaped me is, is that I've learned, I've learned from the lessons that I've made. I, I've learned the lesson through the mistakes that I've made because frankly, it's too painful to have to repeat them. Now, there are those things yeah, that do, yeah. there, no, there are those things that just come up over and over and over again that it's like, when am I going to get past this stupid thing? Yeah. <laughs> Um, that there's still that element, but when I, when I got to the point of basically accepting responsibility for every action that I've taken, I'm not a victim. Yeah. Um, 
I may be hurt and wounded at times, but I'm not a, but I'm not a victim. And when you get to the point of taking full responsibility for all your actions, that for me is kind of when when things started to shift, and and I st- and I started to embrace doing the hard things instead of giving excuses as to why I couldn't. Yeah, yeah. Why? So why do you think the victimhood mentality is such a popular mentality for men in particular? I, I, I don't know. I don't have any data to prove this, but it seems like it's on the rise. It seems like it's a trendy way of thinking. Oh, for sure. I think victimhood victimhood is, uh, is in vogue. One of the things that stands out most to me about Sean, and we'll get into this really late into our conversation, so I highly suggest that you stick around for the conclusion of the podcast, is that Sean loves Jesus and... And, and he pursues excellence in his vocation. And he does neither of those at the expense of the other. So Sean's an entrepreneur. And little by little, inch by inch, day by day, he's launched and grown one of Iowa's biggest and most successful food truck businesses in in the entire state. Like he's going to share later in our conversation, he started with next to nothing. A crappy beat down little truck that would never meet the requirements of today's food truck industry. But with time, rigor, determination, and faith, Sean's built an amazing food truck business that is in a lot of ways paving the way forward in the industry. And here's why I love this in particular. With many young dudes who are Christians, there's sometimes a false equation between being a Christian and being mediocre at your vocation. Almost like mediocrity at work is a virtue or a testimony to how seriously you take your faith. I would argue that no biblical thinker thinks like that and that if dudes want to glorify God at their job, one of the best ways to do this is to outwork everybody else, to outwork everybody else. Let me qualify that. They as Christian dudes, we should outwork everybody else in quality, not necessarily quantity, okay? That's what I mean. We should outwork everybody else in quality, not necessarily quantity or at the expense of what matters most. For instance, we should work harder than anybody else, and yet we should spend ample time with our family, with our kids, prioritizing church, serving, taking a Sabbath. But within reasonable work hours... We should work hard to become excellent for the glory of God. And that's going to be a main point or a main thesis that I'm going to drive home in this episode. Namely, that a good dude is somebody who pursues excellence. In fact, one day, eight or nine years ago, I complained to my pastor at our sending church, the guy who was training and developing me, that I didn't get enough preaching reps. And without enough preaching reps, I wouldn't be able to develop excellence as a preacher. So there I was eight or nine years ago complaining about this. And what he said changed my life and helped me pursue excellence at a quicker rate than I ever could have imagined. You know, there's somebody that's going to come along and and uh, will allow you to put on that that cloak of victimhood. Um, 
I think one of the biggest re- so oh, speaking from my own experience because I don't know what the experience is of someone else. Yeah, yeah. Victimhood allows you to not take full responsibility for your actions. Yeah, yeah. It puts the emphasis on the actions of other people or because they did this, I now do this. Uh, it allows us to make excuses. I think it allows us to play small too. Play small? Yeah, it allows us to play small. For example, if we, um, I'm sure you've got wrestlers that have gotten into a match with someone that clearly outclassed them, out-talented them, just destroyed them. Mm-hmm. And and there's a propensity then for the person to say, oh, I guess I'm not a wrestler, I'm not that good. It allows them to shrink back at times. Yeah. Uh, fear comes in. And Almost it's like, immediately. Yeah, it's, it's like I they start questioning their choices in life. I don't know if I want to do this. Why am I doing this? This is a lot of work. Yep. Um, and that happens in, in, in work, in a job, e- even in a marriage. Even in a marriage, there's that there's that shrinking back, and that's why there's um, a man. Well, again, speaking for myself, I would wall myself off in protection. I would say if my wife would say something that hurt my feelings, or attacked my manhood or my leadership, yeah, I I would just recoil. Sure, I would just put up a wall, and it would just you do your thing, I'll do my thing. I'm safe over here. Fight or flight. Fight or flight. flight. Fight, flight, or freeze. Yeah. Yeah. And I, there's certainly been plenty of fighting, (laughs) but there's been a lot of flighting as well. Yeah. And, and, and it's just not, it's not beneficial. It's not helpful at all. Um, Because at times it's not necessarily a matter of standing up for yourself, but it's a matter of owning up to what you've done as well. Yeah. Uh, Flight allows a person not to take responsibility. They're like, well, we're just going to go silent. And where I should be talking and saying, will you, ask, will you please forgive me for what I said or did? Or let's talk about it. Or let me, let me share with you why that, why that was such a, why, why you got such a strong response from me. Because there's, husband, there's, there's husbands and wives that they really don't know the deep, painful, hidden things that are in each other's lives at times. Hmm. They just, you know, they just put up a wall. Yeah. Mm. It's hard, man. Yep. Yep. It certainly, uh, it certainly can be. It certainly can be. Well, yeah. And I, so I think one of the, one of the difficulties, especially when it comes with the victimhood mentality is being able to categorize events rightly, you know, like there, when you read the Bible, there are clear injustices that happen and God hates those injustices. And yet there are these sins that we struggle with that give us challenges, obstacles, resistance in the world that we need to take responsibility for. And what I've discovered is that for me personally, the vast majority of the challenges, hardships in my life are not injustices. Even though injustices are real in in the world and want to be dealt with by Yahweh and the God of the Bible, the vast majority of my challenges are my own stupidity and they Mm -hmm. result from my own errors and my own folly Mm -hmm. and to not take responsibility for them would would not only be to to fail to meet the challenge and to rise to the occasion, but to also yeah. reject the opportunity that God is putting in front of me to grow me. And yeah. I think being able to see life that way is super important. Well, you actually you've actually kind of segued into one of the things that I thought that I, that I believe has been most has been most helpful in me raising three married, confident, strong, successful entrepreneurs. 
Yeah, uh, my, talk to my, us about that, man. My my boys are my boys are beasts. They just absolutely are beasts. Yeah, and and they and they don't let me off the hook. I mean, I just I just recently finished up a hundred day ice bath challenge. Oh, right? I, sat, I sat in an ice bath for hundred days straight. Wim Hof. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and as I was getting to the end, my youngest son said, "Okay, so what's on one hundred one, Dad? What are you going to do on day one hundred one? Why would you stop?" Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like. Uh, thanks, son. Appreciate that. <laughs> it's this constant, the, the constant uh, calling to level up, which which I appreciate. I do appreciate it. But I don't remember the name of the book. I'll do some looking. Hopefully, maybe you can add it to you know to the comments in this podcast or something. Okay. Yeah. But there was a book I read that basically it's too simple. It's too simple of a title for it to actually be what it is. It's like you're not responsible for making sure your kids turn out right is in essence what the title of the book was. Okay. And he was saying that uh, God has things set up, you know, laws, court systems, you know, just 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 the reality of you do stupid things and there are consequences for it. And he said, it's not ultimately your job to be sure your kids turn out right. Yeah, lead them, guide them. But at the end of the day, they they're able, they are autonomous and they're able to make choices on their own. So don't beat yourself up. If your kids don't do the things you want them to do. And so what it leads me into is that in some ways, my kids, my boys grew up with a disadvantage. Um, I, I didn't drink. I wasn't a drinker in high school. Okay. Not be, not yeah. because I was a good kid, but because I thought it was stupid to deliberately make yourself sick. Yeah. You liked control. It just, yeah, I, yeah. 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 I, I didn't want to lose control. I thought I was, right. I thought I was idiotic. Um, but my drug of choice was speed. Okay. And so pretty much every day of my teens living in rural Iowa um, was a version of the Indianapolis 500. Yeah. Um, I raced four-wheelers. I had cross rockets. There wasn't anywhere I went less than 100 mile an hour. Okay. Yeah. And the world was my playground. Sure. I spent as much time ditch hopping and uh, jumping gravel road intersections as I did on paved surfaces. And there's at least someone, there's at least one testimony of someone who points back to a ride with me as the moment in their life that they gave their life to Christ. No way. <laughs> yeah. Are you serious? They're like, okay. I'm going to die and I don't know Jesus and I need to get my life right with God they right were, now. They were in the passenger seat They're, going 120 miles yes, an hour. And, yes. Okay. Yes. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Look at you, just a little evangelist. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. That's... <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing. No, that's Sorry. yeah. Yeah, God has a way of using all things, doesn't He? Yeah, yeah. I think there's a line. For and that in and the Bible. so yeah, yeah. And and in reality, I mean, honestly, I, I shudder looking back at, at a lot of the close calls I had. Um, for whatever reason, God protected me um, from my foolishness. And so, so what do I mean that my kids had a disadvantage? Because that experience in my back in my past made me an experienced and keen observer. Okay. Yeah. And so if they were fishing at the river for the day and they would come home, I would walk by the car. And if I saw grass between the rim and the bead of the tire, I know that they were skidding around in the, in the pasture because that's the yeah, only way right. you can get grass between the bead and a tire is if you're sliding sideways. And you probably picked that out of your own I, car when you were little. I, right? Exactly. Okay. I knew that. I'd yeah. look underneath and if I saw grass on the shocks and the struts, it'd be like, uh-huh, they were in the ditch. Um, if they headed out on the motorcycle for a ride at times, 
I would be able to listen to them and I would know by the engine RPM and the gear that they were in, how fast they were going. And so my point is this, I had to discern and determine at times when I was going to step in and when I would let things go. Yeah. If I saw right. grass in the tires of the wheel, I'm going to let that go. Hey, Okay. In fact, there was a little yeah, bit of me that yeah. was like, nice. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I love it. I know yeah, what you're talking yeah. about. They were right. following yeah. in their father's footsteps. I can't fault them for that. That's right. I yeah. was uh and and there's that there's that verse that said, uh, be sure your sins will find you out. And more often than not, I would just smile and when I would be somewhere, even in town, and one of my kids would go seventy mile an hour out of town and uh dad saw him they're like why were you even in town yeah well god had me there for a reason yeah yeah amen um jordan peterson has said that the the role of a good of a good father is to teach her kids how to do dangerous things safely okay do dangerous things safely yeah and you, so, ident- you identify you resonate with I that resonate with that 100 percent. you know yeah. was i okay with them ditch hopping and fishtailing and doing that kind of stuff yeah i i was because it actually taught them life skills I trust my boys to go drive on poor condition roads because they know how to handle a vehicle that's sideways. They know how to get it back. Um, and and you, you have to experience that firsthand. You can't just, you can't intellectually teach somebody how to, how to correct um, an oversteer. Yeah. You have to do it. Right. Those boys have done it. Okay. Can I, can I, <laughs> can I ask you a quick question on this? I agree with everything you're saying. Okay. Um, so there's, there's a great quote out there. I think it's absolutely true, which is that, um, a boy's mother or yeah, a boy's mother's hug brings, um, comfort and his father's hug brings courage. Mm -hmm. I think that's true. And so I think that what you're saying right now resonates deeply with with me and with a lot of, a lot of men. Yeah. Uh, I would guess it would not resonate deeply with the the women. Out oh, this there. is not for my wife. My wife is not to hear this. So here's the right. No, so, exactly. So here's my exactly. question: Did you this ever is have for to dudes. fight? Did you ever oh, have to fight about this with? Dude, I fight to this day. <laughs> I still fight. Okay. I still okay, fight. Right. If we're if we're gonna be transparent, um, at times I'm the messenger for my wife. She would be like, um, you 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 need to tell the boys. You need to tell the boys that right. they they don't. Why didn't Anthony get a motorcycle? He got another dirt bike. He yep. had a dirt bike, and he's and he's giving his kids a ride. He said that just, and and I and I have to and I have to go against my wife. I have to as gently as I can, say, I'm I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. He's not doing it to upset yeah, you. Yeah. Um, you know, just be mindful of it. And so, and to show to show respect to my wife, I will talk to Anthony. I'll say, don't give the kids rides in front of of mom because they know. <laughs> they know they do know and at times they just deliberately will kind of poke her a little bit and it's like yeah don't 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 do that just and so so yeah. so to to, fin- to finish what i was going to say yeah it, it was i was i okay with them driving that way yeah i actually was now true story was i okay with my oldest son leaving our house while giving a ride to a girl at night where he was going well over 100 mile an hour when he left the house. That's where you draw the line. I was not okay with that. Right. Walk in fact, that. in fact, the motorcycle was sold five days later. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I was like, yeah, no. This there's a difference between there's a difference between pushing the edge 
and being flat out stupid. See, I would I would jump intersections at 100 mile an hour. I would go ditch hopping. I, I would do I would do some pretty crazy things, but I would never blindly go through an intersection. If there was a blind intersection, like with cornfields around it, right, I would right. never go through a blind intersection. Yeah, um, driving a motorcycle, and I, I I had no problem topping out a motorcycle. I mean, I I kind of prided myself that I could ride wheelies at high speed. I I could ride a wheelie at 100 mile an hour, and I would do it. But when it got dark, I never went over 60 mile an hour mm-hmm. because that's just stupid. You don't yeah. know when a deer is going to come out. And so I took calculated risks, but not stupid risks. Well, I think and, and I think that that balance right there is the essence of wisdom, right? Like I, I kind of I resonate with that as, a, for instance, as a wrestling coach. And, you know, this is a, a parable, I guess, for parenting where. Like sometimes in a, in a really difficult, hot, sweaty, challenging practice, you'll have two wrestlers start to get chippy with each other, man. Mm-hmm. They start to, to push it a little bit. They start mm-hmm. to push each other. They mm-hmm. start to throw elbow, like what, whatever it is, man. They start to just pop off at each other, yeah. right? And as a, as a coach, you, you kind of let that go. You don't want to, to phrase it frankly, I guess, you don't want to squish the testosterone out of your wrestlers. You right. want that. Right. In like in appropriate doses, right? Right. And it, it's it's when the knuckles start to come out and, right. the, and the swinging starts to come out that it's right. like, okay, there's a limit to this. Stop. You go over there. You go over there. I'm breaking right. this up, right? right? And that's wisdom, right? I think. Right. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, I, I'm reminded of just, I mean, football season has obviously started. And, and a good football coach will teach their players to play to the whistle. And I mean, or, or like when you're heading to the sideline, he is ready to absolutely destroy that guy, but as soon as the foot touches out of bounds, he knows to back off. It's like, don't hit him. Yeah. Don't hit him. Right. And playing to the whistle. I mean, they want to tear their heads off, and as soon as that whistle blows, it just stops immediately. Right. I, I still find that incredible. I still yeah. find that incredible that they that you can condition someone, for the most part, for the most part, the most the, the most well-disciplined players are able to do that. <clears throat> and, and that's and that's fascinating that 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 can actually be trained into a person. Well, and you see it in UFC too. I mean, these guys absolutely just go bonkers on each other, yeah. knock the slobber out of each other. I mean, right. they talk endless smack before the fight, and once one guy gets his hand raised, they yeah. hug. Yep. They tell each other they love each other. They yep. tell each other they're grateful for the other one. Yeah. They get behind a microphone. They say, yeah. "Man, I'm, this dude is a champ." Right. And like, I, I don't know. There, there's something about that that I. I, I don't think that's psychotic. I find that admirable. It, it's very admirable. Yeah, it, it, it is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, and, and I think once you get to that level, once you get to that level, that skill level, that they all recognize that if we were if we were to if we were to fight ten fights, I'll get six, you'll get four. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get to that level. It's some of it is luck. Some of it is a chess match. It is some of it is just just lucked into something. Now, obviously, the most skilled people are often the most lucky. Um, you, you see that. You see that happen as well. Um, but there is that element. I mean, I used to play racquetball, um, and I had the opportunity to play uh, the the A League, the the Class A Open champion, uh, the one the Iowa Olympics. Okay. Yeah. And uh, you know, racquetball is a very technical 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 game and I was I was yeah, I good know. Okay. I was good 
and he beat me 15-0. And I got, after I talked to him afterwards, I said, so how, how hard were you playing? He said, probably 40%. Oh, that, I bet that felt good yeah, for the I was old just ego. Like, I was, well, I knew he was so – actually, he was so much better. I was just like, sweet. It literally didn't even bother me that yeah. I got destroyed by him. I, I thought it was awesome cool. because he could put the ball wherever he wanted, and it was just like – I didn't even see that. I didn't even see that. Oh, and he was probably your size, by the way. Yeah. He was so big and bulky. Yeah, yeah. Beast mode. Beast mode. Yeah, he was a strong, a strong five foot and probably a buck forty. And if not, uh, if that. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, in, anyway. That's good parenting wisdom, man. Keep keep walking us through your greatest hits as a man, like the things you've learned along the way, how you've learned them. Just keep going. Well, well one of the things I wanted I wanted to finish up with the story of, you know, the motorcycle and, you know, the, the, the erratic driving. Yeah. Is that because, because the boys didn't constantly hear from me, don't do this, don't do that, don't, don't go there, be, you know, they, they had very few rules growing up. That when I did speak, it resonated with them. It had if, weight. If, if, and yeah, it, it, it had weight and had gravity because it wasn't just the, old, the same old song and dance. I mean, my wife—they basically just tuned my wife out. You know, I—I huh. I actually encouraged them. I hadn't really thought about this till now. I actually encouraged them to go out and drive in bad weather, and they got that a little bit of that from me. Okay. Um, I like yeah. I liked going out in blizzards. I like the fact that there was drifts on the road. I like yeah. the fact that there's we're, we're living in a different topography. Everything has changed. Um, we grew up with boats, um, and I would actually I would go out on the lake when there was a uh, small boat advisory. I loved going out in a small boat with waves that were eight feet tall. Five to eight feet tall because it was a challenge and I enjoyed it. Right. A smooth sea never yeah. made a skillful yeah, sailor. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. And so it tested. And so bad weather tested my boys. And so I was perfectly fine with them going out and driving in bad weather because it, it made them better drivers. And again, I mean and, and so if I would say, Boys, I don't think you should go out tonight, generally they would say, Okay, probably shouldn't go out tonight. Yeah, because I mean, they were like, well, I yeah. mean, even if dad, yeah, if, right? if dad, yeah, if dad, yeah, if dad says no, probably not, right. And so, so I think there was there was a little bit of, without really knowing it at the time, there was a bit of a method to my madness of kind of letting them be fairly independent. Is that uh, on those times when I did feel that they were doing something that was, that was uh, that was out of line, that 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 they listened. Yeah, that's a good word, man. That's a good word, especially for the. The overcoacher, the father out there that wants to correct and nitpick every oh. little thing that his kids do, which sometimes I fall into that habit because I like coaching, and so right. I mean, that's always the that's always the danger for somebody who's passionate about parenting is that right. they overparent. Right. Oh, you know? absolutely. And one of the things I recently experienced, um, it's kind of been a new thing to me. Um, I just went through an experience for a week where I got some very honest response. I mean, I was able to look at myself in a mirror in a way that I haven't really been able to do for basically ever in my life. Yeah. I think there's some gold in here for our listeners. So walk uh, us through that. Man. One, one of the thing, one of the things that I learned is that, that when you have some, when you have something to say to, to a person, I, I heard it, I heard it 50 times over this past week of, can I give you some feedback? Okay. You ask somebody, can I, can I, can I give you some feedback on that? Right. And basically, then you have the choice of, no, I don't want to hear it, or, yeah, please. And and it opens up, 
it opens up a two-way street that I'm just not giving you my thoughts. I'm asking you ahead of time, do you have ears to hear what I'm about to tell you? Yeah, that's wise. And it really, it it's such a simple little thing, but it really shifted. Um, it shifted just from giving advice to somebody that may not want it into, I have something to share with you that I think would be of value, but I want to be sure that you hear it. Yeah, I and, need to start doing that. I hadn't even thought about doing that with, with, with my kids, but you know, my kids are 29 to 32 years old, 29 to 33 years old right now. And I think that would be, I think that would be wise for me to start implementing that in the relationship with them. I think it would be. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's wise. And, 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 and fellow people in the community, fellow brothers and sisters in church start a, start a conversation like that because generally we just choose not to say anything. It's like, I don't even want to go down that road because mm-hmm. we're so conditioned to, to be defensive. But when someone says, Hey, can I, can I share some thoughts on that? Would you hear me? Yeah. That's just, it's just a different, it's just a different approach. So yeah, I like that. I, I just I like learned, that. I just learned that right now, right here as I'm sitting here. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Keep up. Uh, that, that's helpful for us here, especially in my position. I'm, I'm in a position where I have to give feedback frequently and, and often, and I sure. don't use that phrase and say, so sure. I think that'd be helpful. So sure. Yeah. Yeah. Give it a, give it a try. See if it, see if it is effective. Yeah. See if it is effective. Cause I think it might be. So, you had asked me what are what are some of the most important things? What are some important things that I've learned that should be passed on to young men? Oh gosh, that yeah, go down that road, man. So lots I, of good stuff. I had a little bit there. of chance to think about this, so I wrote down I wrote down a few things. Yep. Um, first thing I wrote was uh, to live like a rebel. I like it. I'll live like a rebel. Everybody has a bit of rebel within them. Um, so rebel in a good way. Mm-hmm. Rebel in a good way. Uh, be countercultural in how you view and live out what manhood looks like. Instead of looking down on the weak and helpless, show kindness and help them as you are able. Uh, be a rebel. Pray for your food in public or in a crowded mm-hmm. lunchroom. Be a rebel. Don't play the victim and run to social media or your friends when somebody hurts your feelings or royally screws up. Um, be a powerful Tim Tebow type of athlete who isn't ashamed of the fact that he's a virgin while at the same time be on the field the court or the smat or the mat smashing in the faces of wimpy dudes who are looking down at you and snickering at you because of your high moral standards mm-hmm. okay bro so eight or nine years ago i was a high school english teacher and i wanted to become a church planter with no seminary experience so naturally i thought that that would mean that What I needed was lots of preaching reps and lots of preaching opportunities at our sending church. And so when I wasn't getting that or when I didn't feel like I was getting that because I was a bad preacher, I complained to our sending church's pastor that I needed more preaching experience. I wanted more preaching experience. And I'll never forget his response. The wisdom in it still rings loudly in my heart nine years later. He said, quote, Cole, preachers find a way to preach whether or not they get the pulpit. And so if you really want to grow in excellence as a preacher, preach without a crowd. Preach in your basement to nobody. (laughs) So I did that for a long time. Whenever I had a, a free lunch hour, I'd set my alarm for an hour. I'd spend the first 30 minutes picking a text and preparing a message. 
And then I'd spend the second 30 minutes in the attic of a house that Chloe and I were renting, preaching that sermon to absolutely nobody besides maybe the woman that we are renting the house from in the first floor. I don't know. She never complained or said anything about it. But in the summer, man, it was it was hot up there in the attic. In my 30 minutes of preaching to nobody up there, I'd have sweat dripping off the end of my nose. It was an attic, so there was bat crap piling up all around me. There was nobody there to applaud me and tell me how great of a sermon I preached. But I wanted to chase and pursue excellence, and so I put myself through the freaking ringer to do that. And at the end of the day, I'm not sure that my own journey towards excellence is a great example, because I still think I have a long ways to go before I consider myself a great preacher. But that practice catalyzed my growth exponentially. And so, don't don't miss what I'm saying. The pursuit of excellence is not only a good thing, but it's a godly thing for guys to pursue. I mean, I just watched, I just watched this uh, documentary on, uh, I think it's called Swamp Kings on Netflix. And it's basically, it's around the Florida Gators, but Tim Tebow is kind of the, the central figure in that. And I didn't really realize how much of a beast he was. Yeah, you know, he was, he right. was, you know, missionary, homeschooled. You, you watch the guy talk and he's, he, he's, he's very subdued. Right. But on a field, he is a flipping beast. I mean, he makes most people's top five college yeah, yeah. football he's players just, of all time. Yeah. He's, you know? he was just an absolute stud. Yeah. And it's like, wait a minute, that's a powerful man, but yet he's this humble Christian. Huh, you can have both. You can have both. You can be a beast and also be humble. Maybe maybe this isn't the time to tease this out. I'd love for you to tease that out as a business owner, though. Right? So a lot of oh, times, sure. a, a lot of times, like, the assumption is that, okay, if you love Jesus and you practice humility, then you have to be bad at what you do. And that's, not only is that not true, but that is probably less true than true, maybe even false. And so what's it been like for you to love Jesus, be humble, but be a beast as a business owner? That's interesting. You want 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 to put a pin in that? You want to put a pin in that? Or you want me to do it? No, we can put, yeah, let's put a pin in that. Let's come around to that. Because I think it's important. I think it's important we have time. Let's let's touch on that. Okay, cool. Choose a job. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, choose a job or a career that you're that you're enthused about. Mm-hmm. Don't just go get a job. Um, find find something that you enjoy doing, and pursue that as much as you possibly can. And if you can't, how what what would a good dude do mm-hmm. if he couldn't find something he was passionate about right now? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, work on his skills. Yeah. Work on his books. skills. Yeah, work on his skills. Always look for opportunities. Um, re- recognize the fact that you've not gotten what you've hoped for or asked for. Stay hungry. Stay hungry. Don't don't see it as a, don't say it don't see it as a no. Maybe see it as a not yet. There's plenty of people. Um, you know, Thomas Edison. There was eighteen thousand failures before he figured out how to make a light bulb work. Yeah, yeah, and. You just you just keep going. You keep trying. You keep trying. You keep swinging the you keep swinging the hammer. 
and uh and you, and you will find that if your passion lines up with what God's will is for you, it will happen. It will happen. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there are some successes that only happen. If it happens too soon and too easy, you won't appreciate it. Yeah. You, yeah. Won't, you just won't appreciate it. Uh, one, of the, one of the pieces of his advice I give for, uh, for food trucks that I mentor, uh, people that want to get a food truck, is like uh, I tell them, don't get a new truck. Don't get a new truck. You need to go find an old beater. My first yeah, food truck yeah. was 12 feet long. Um, I'm 5'10", and my head hit the roof. I could touch both sides of the truck by reaching out. It was an old mail truck. I reached wow. to the left, I could hit one wall. I reached to the right, I hit the other wall. Yeah. My wife would have to get out of the front of the truck for me to walk by her. I mean, it was it was so small. It was so, it was so pathetic. It wouldn't even come close to passing the standards today that they have for food trucks. Yeah, but that's where we started, and, and, and I that now is gratitude in you for where you yeah, are now. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Nine years later, I've got a uh, well, I got a brand new 2022 Ford F59 tricked out. I think the thing's 30 feet long from nose to tail, Ooh. and uh, you know it made me hungry. I mean, I, I earned that. I yeah. created that, and so the first thing I tell people is, you're not starting at the top. You're going to start at the bottom. Yeah, you're going to start at the bottom. Because it's going to make you hungry. Do now, they, if you can't do that, well, this this might not be for you. Okay, yeah. This and if might you, not be the career for you. Yeah, that I mean, that has to be able to make you smile, I feel like. Yeah. Like, you've got to be the type of person who's like, hey, you got to... I mean, it's kind of like church planting, right? Like, you got to start with six people in a couple that's bucks. Right. That's right. And if that makes you lick your wounds and feel bad about right. yourself, go find an established church, man. But if you can look at six people, right? If you can look at um, five loaves of bread and two fish and smile because you know yeah. you got Jesus by your side, yeah. then maybe you are a church planter. Yeah. You know, and like in your case, if you can start with a truck like that yeah. and think, ooh, it's only up from here, that's right. baby. Let's that's go exactly get this. Right. That's then, exactly right. And you might be an entrepreneur. Yep. That's exactly right. Yep. No, nope, that's great. That is great. Um next thing I have, have sex with one woman, your wife. Mm, good word have sex with one woman if you think you have to date casually then treat her like you want your wife's boyfriend to be treating her right now mm-hmm. if you're dating somebody that's not your wife your wife is dating somebody that's not you you treat your current girlfriend the way you want her to be being treated yeah um who you marry is probably the most important decision you will ever make yep i bumped into a quote the other day that i i thought just struck me right to the core which was like the quote was, marrying the right woman is like printing your own money. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, isn't that yeah. the truth? Yep. Yep. Yeah, there's a lot riding on that. There's a lot riding on that decision. And so what, what I struggle with at times is, is so I, I, believe, I believe in a sovereign God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so there are things that you can learn when you're in a painful relationship. Um, but at the same time, he's also given us a head on our shoulders. And I can trust in the sovereignty of God and also trust that he's given me a brain that I can make the best choices I can with what I have at the moment. Yeah. And so it's almost a bit, it would almost be considered a bit reckless or cavalier to just jump off the edge of a cliff and say, oh, God's got me. If God wants to save me, I'm not going to hit the ground. Right. You, I know, mean, you don't yeah. want to be, you don't want to be foolish. Right. Um, you don't want to be foolish. And, I mean, how many times do you read in the Old Testament especially? Now, now, 
can you can you marry somebody and can it work out when you come from a bad background and you've got three strikes two strikes going against you from the beginning my wife and i are that story yeah my wife and i are that story pregnant at 18 married at 19 i tried to cheat on her while we were engaged mm-hmm. i mean i didn't know that i was that. a bad dude yeah. i was a bad dude and and god just god just said no yeah what no. happened how did that happen man how did how did what happen how you were a bad dude then jesus just grabbed you by kicked you off your horse on your way to damascus or like yeah. what happened yeah yeah i ended up getting to that point of just uh of just recognizing that I was a, a truly selfish person and that uh, everything I tried to do in my own strength to turn things around. I mean, my, my wife was telling me that she hated me. She wanted a divorce. Um, I was on antidepressants at the time. Um, one of the things they don't tell you about antidepressants is that they put you in a gray fog that, yeah, do they, do they make the, do they make the sadness go away? Yeah, they do. But they also take away any hope of joy you'll ever have. Okay. You yeah. live in a you live in a constant uh, a state of fogginess. It's like going to school at seven o'clock in the morning with uh, fifty foot visibility. You know, is it light? Yeah, it's yeah. kind of light. Is it dark? Yeah, kinda. Ev- everything is unclear. You don't have the lows that you used to have, but there are no highs either. And so when my wife would my when my wife yeah, would cry yeah. in front of me and saying I hate you I want a divorce I honestly didn't feel a thing I didn't care yeah and so mm-hmm. I I attribute I attribute the rescue of my relationship with my wife as 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 God's grace as yeah, as yeah. simply His mercy as He reached down because He doesn't do that all the time He doesn't mm-hmm. save every marriage. Every marriage isn't rescued. And so I recognize that and I'm very grateful for it. Um, but yeah, God just stopped in, just stepped in and saved me from doing so many, um, so many, so many horrible things. And she, she is and was, she was and is um, a great woman. Yeah. And she's obviously stuck with yeah, you, man. She has stuck with me. Yeah. Yeah. And so. She came from character. She had character. She really did. Yeah. And so, yeah, she didn't really want a divorce. She really didn't hate me, obviously. She was just trying to cut through the fog, man. She was just trying right? to cut through the I fog. I mean, she had to throw it, some it was, Hail Marys. Yeah, had to, to, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. For you to had see to it. try to do some things that got my attention. Exactly. Can I Can I ask you a personal question? It's okay if the answer is no. Um, but so, so, so are you asking me if I want your feedback? Do you want my feedback? Yeah. <laughs> So I've I, I've never been on antidepressants. Yeah. Um, so I don't I don't know what that's like, but um, it it does a, appear to me that when one thing I talked about in a sermon a couple of weeks ago was that when a person chooses to numb or harden their heart, they don't get to selectively harden their heart, right? They don't get to selectively harden. Well, I don't want to feel pain anymore, so right. I'll just harden the pain thing. Yeah. You, what you have the option to do is either harden the whole heart or not. Right. right. And so I would imagine that coming off of the antidepressants was really hard it was it was was. that like because also all of a sudden there's an awakening there's an awakening and basically what you're doing um and i want to preface what i'm going to say next with this statement that 
that I know this is that this could be a sensitive subject. In in yeah, this I would, could be a very sensitive subject. And um, I think there's a clinical appropriate yeah. use of antidepressants yeah. for people when yeah. it's right the right doctor who knows right. you. And so I'm not. Right. I'm not interested in whether or not antidepressants right. are free. Right. Exactly. Listener, that's right. That, right. That, that's yeah. And and my response has nothing to do with uh, whether right. they're good or they're bad or you should or you shouldn't. This is just this has been my, my experience with them. Right. I, I'm Simply interested in the. From my it, I'm interested in the recognition that I'm overdoing it and now I need to come off of this. What was that? Well, like? b- basically, what uh, I I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't hear or feel the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Couldn't there there was there was no guilt. Um, it's not. How do I say this? I don't want. I don't want to go beyond too far beyond personal experience. Okay, I, I yeah. don't. I don't think it is a mistake, or I don't think it's a coincidence that when there's when there's mass shootings, pretty much everybody everybody is on something. Hmm. They just they just don't feel anything. They right. just don't feel anything. Um, and some would look at that and say, "Oh, they needed more." <laughs> Where it may be that 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 actually helped mask some of the yeah. some of the things that we have within us, the warning bells that say, "Hey, we shouldn't be doing this." Right. Um, but anyway, yeah. my own experience has been, my own experience has been that um, it put me in a it put me in a fog, and it's it's a numbing where some people numb with with drugs or alcohol. Um, I was prescribed a drug. That basically numbed me as well. And yeah, you can't you can't turn off and turn on what what gets through. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it it deadens the the pain, but it also kills the joy. Right. And so you just kind of live in this you live in this funk. Uh, you could be at church and singing the greatest worship songs there are, and God is just running rampant through that building, and He's just getting to your heart and just skipping off. Mm. Or that's what happened with me at least. Just yeah, off my just heart. just pops off, skips yeah. right off. Yeah, mm. yeah. And so coming off that, um, your, your brain's kind of because it messes with chemicals. It messes with chemicals in your in 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 my brain. And so when I was kind of getting back to normal, there was you know emotional highs and wall banging and fear and you know physical signs. Um, inability to sleep mm-hmm. and uh yeah it was in fact I, I remember one i remember one very specific moment that uh i was just feeling rage toward my wife and it was almost it was demonic i mean it was almost demonic that there was just this i wanted to hurt her i wanted to hurt my wife and we weren't even having an argument i don't think Okay. I was just, yeah. I was just, I was just stressed to the max. And I said, don't, you need to get away from me. Okay. You need to get away from me. And she did. She rushed into me and gave me a hug and said, I trust you. I and trust what you. What did that do to you? Oh, it broke, it broke the hold. Huh. It just broke the hold of that anger. So you and thought. it was just gone. You thought what you're, you, you got this anger in you. You thought what it needed was distance. Yes. But your wife knew that what it needed was a hug and closeness. Yes, Is that right. right? That's exactly right. Wow. That's yep. powerful, yep. man. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Thanks for sharing that, man. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. What else do you got for us? Um, oh, with, with regard. Uh, a final thought with regard to 
marriage, that woman, accept the fact that if your marriage is crap, then more than likely it is your fault. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I said earlier, accept responsibility for your actions. Um, a good man accepts responsibility for his actions, all of them. If, if something goes south, it's because he didn't step up and lead like he should. I mean, if you think about it, th- this is even reflected in the secular world, where if you're the head, if you're the head of a business or a division in a business, and something goes wrong, that's you really have you have no knowledge of it. Usually, the the, the guy that's in charge of the department resigns. He steps right, down because yeah. he he takes responsibility, even if he had nothing to do with the things that were done underneath him. Yep. And so it's reflect it's reflected in the secular world. It, we shouldn't be surprised yep. that ownership take ownership of everything. If you're, um, yeah, if if you're if the marriage with your wife is is rotten, I, I assure you there are things that you are doing that have impacted what how she is responding or what she is doing or what or what she is feeling that makes her all of a sudden this bristly hag that you're living with that right. is pissed off at you all the time. And there's also a beautiful principle, I think, that operates and works behind this, which is that authority in general tends to flow towards those who take responsibility. And so taking responsibility for your actions and taking responsibility for those underneath your leadership is really challenging and rigorous and hard. And it's not what your flesh wants to do. It's certainly not what your ego wants to do. Your ego wants to protect itself and puff Mm -hmm. itself up and say, that's not my fault. Um, Right. But as you do take responsibility for things like that, more authority tends to flow in, in your direction. And I think this is because the Lord desires that the people who be in authority in most situations are people who do well with taking responsibility. And so, like, yeah. there is a built-in – I don't think you should just do it for the reward. That's not what I'm saying. But there is a built-in reward to, to being the type of person who takes responsibility. And I just think everything you're saying is true, right? Mm-hmm. That's modeled perfectly for us in Genesis 3. Eve bites the apple. God knocks on whose door? Mm-hmm. Adam. That's right. That's right. Adam, where are you? Mm-hmm. Right? And what does Adam do? Yeah. <laughs> De- deflects. Play, deflects, right? Yeah. It's the woman you gave me. And uh, yeah. the Lord's like, nah, man. Yeah. Nah, man. Yeah. That's not exactly what he says, but he essentially says, nah, man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there's a version somewhere, if it's not in existence already, it's coming where there'll be a... Maybe like the the message 2.0. Nah, man. Nah, bro. <laughs> dude, dude. dude. <laughs> and you know, even even when you brought that up, I think it, it's I think it's a great it's a great circular thing. I do have one more point to make, but since you brought up Genesis yeah. three there, sure. That that even in the midst of failures, um, there's grace. Even mm-hmm. in the midst of of irresponsibility, you know, if you look at that account of Adam or Eve. The last thing we see from Adam and Eve both is not my fault, not my fault. I'm not taking any responsibility for this. And there's still grace that's extended to them. God still covers them with, with, uh, with the skin. He covers yeah. them with, with atonement. Exactly. And so we, it's important that at the end of the day, we, we try our best to be good husbands, to be good fathers, to be good men. And despite our shortcomings that God can still use us. In fact, he can even use, you know, there's a, there's a saying that when a, when a, when a, when a jar is dropped and broken and it's glued back together, that is that when there's a light that's put within that jar, it actually shines out through the cracks. 
Mm-hmm. And so often our, our mistakes or our failures or our weaknesses are the, are the things that God will use to show us grace and to shed that spotlight of grace around the lives of others. Because a man who's kind of a shit dad wants to hear from a man who was a shit dad that God has redeemed and restored yeah. and has brought them back to youthfulness mm-hmm. and, and has given them hope, has given them hope that if God can rescue your family when you were not a good man, he can do the same thing for me. Exactly. So obviously, we want to catch we want to catch the vase before it hits the, the floor. That's yeah. That's right. the point of what we're talking about today. Right. But uh, that's and, and that's true, and that's what we want to do. And yet, yeah. that's that's usually just not the way that men learn. It just you know the, we're the we're, old we're kind of we're yeah we are hard headed. <laughs> we are hard headed. Yeah. Men when, learn when they have to. Yeah. That's when right. When they have to. That's right. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, no. It just probably will. Yep. Yep. Okay, so let's imagine that you don't know where to start in the pursuit of excellence. Maybe you're stuck in a job, you're stuck in a career, you're stuck in a vocation that you're not passionate about. What do you do then? Well, I... I really love C.R. Wiley's advice. He's the author of a few books on Christian manhood. I really like C.R. Wiley's thoughts on this. Here's three that come from him. First, he says that even if you're in a job you don't like, the first step is to free yourself from wage slavery in your mindset. Free yourself from wage slavery in your mindset. Suppose you're a slave to wages that are coming from a job that you don't like. This is most guys in their 20s, or at least, if not most, I would say probably the majority. Here's what Wiley says, quote, the first step towards freedom today is taken inside your head. You must stop thinking of yourself as an employee, and you must begin to work for yourself, even in your current job, end quote. I like this quote because it's really close to what Paul says. It's a little different spin, but it's really close to what Paul says in the Bible in Colossians chapter 3. Paul says, quote, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Jesus. So in both Wiley's quote and the Bible verse, there's a, I guess you could call it a restructuring about how you think about your vocation, rethinking your job as working for your boss and instead choosing to think of your job as working for yourself or working for the Lord. And that brings us to the second way to pursue excellence in your current job. Second, Wiley says, turn your current job into a trade school. These are his exact words, quote, turn your job into a trade school, learn things. Acquire marketable skills. If you truly master a few skills, then one day you'll walk out of the door, you'll leave your job with tools that you can use for your next job that you are passionate about. This is also advice that I got from my pastor eight or nine years ago. I, I remember him saying, you're, you're an English teacher for goodness sake. You teach multiple lessons every day, so consider every lesson you teach 
even if it's Shakespeare or To Kill a Mockingbird or Lord of the Flies, consider every lesson you teach an opportunity to practice the mechanics of preaching and grow as a budding preacher. I'm kind of actually, <laughs> I'm kind of actually embarrassed I didn't think about that before. But once I saw my job that way, it made it way more fun because it's almost like it transformed it in, into a seminary experience, except it transformed it into a seminary experience where I got paid instead of paying a lot of money and racking up a lot of debt and essentially pricing myself out of church planting. So whatever job you have right now that sucks, that you hate, turn it into a trade school where you go into it with a mindset that no matter how much I'm not passionate about this job, I'm going to pick up some valuable skills and work on myself. Game changer. And third and lastly, fall in love with the strain of hard work. This actually doesn't come from C.R. Wiley. This comes from Cal Newport and his book, So Good They Can't Ignore You. The method that Cal proposes for pursuing excellence is what he calls deliberate practice. It, it means what it sounds like it means. He deliberately identifies one small skill where he needs to grow or master. Then he isolates that one skill from all the other many skills that go into the job, right? He isolates that one skill and then he purposefully and deliberately works and works and works and stretches himself on that one skill. Hence, the name deliberate practice. Here's Cal in, in his own words, quote, the good news about deliberate practice is that it will push you past the mediocre plateau and into a realm where you have very little competition. The bad news is that deliberate practice is very difficult. I like the term stretch for what deliberate practice feels like. So for instance, when I'm learning a new mathematical technique, the uncomfortable sensation in my head is best approximated as a physical strain, as if my neurons are physically reforming into new configurations. This stretching, though uncomfortable, is the prerequisite for getting better. This is what you should experience in your own pursuit of good. If you're not uncomfortable, then you're probably stuck at a mediocre level." End quote. This pursuit of excellence, married to the grace of God, is exactly what helped Sean take one rusty truck and with time, grit, and determination, turn it into an award-winning, successful food truck business years later. And this is exactly how Paul in the Bible thought about church planting. So consider Paul's very own words in 1 Corinthians 15. Notice what Paul has to say about the place of hard work in the grace of God. And once I'm done reading this quote from 1 Corinthians 15, I'll be done preaching at you. Paul says, quote, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of the apostles, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. May it be said of us too, dudes, pursue excellence. Yeah, the, the the wise the the wise man will look at look at the the failures of others and say, "I'm going to learn, 
I'm going to learn my lesson through them. And thank you for that lesson. Mm-hmm. And not uh, not have to learn it ourselves. But anyway, the last one I had is that recognize porn is the deadly poison it is. Yeah. Um, it brings shame and guilt, and it'll stifle your relationship with God, with other believers, and how you interact and view other people. Um, it's It has a numbing, it, it, it has a powerful effect. And an illustration came from, uh, comes from Proverbs 7. Where it says there, there, there's a woman that is in the streets, and it says she's looking for you. She says, "I have, I have been looking for you." Well, she really hasn't. But there's this, there's this message in pornography that is that is very personal, um, and it and it is a lie. And the verse, verse twenty, verse twenty six in Proverbs seven says, "For she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men." Hmm. All who were slain by her were strong men. That's haunting. And so, yeah, we can we can be strong, confident, bold men. Um, It's it's a good man that's protected from her wiles, not a strong man. Wow. Uh, She destroys pornography. Takes strong men down left and right. I so I had a a uh, a church planning coach in Chicago who told me, and this was in my first year of of pastoring. He told me. I stopped asking whether or not the young men in my church were watching porn, and I just started making that my base assumption. Mm-hmm. And so if we use that base assumption mm-hmm. that the majority of our listeners right now are young dudes who are watching porn, mm-hmm. speak to them right now. I mean, you already have, yeah. but get, yeah, speak directly to them a little. Yeah. What would you say to them? Yeah. Well, I would just say just, just – hmm. I would say be very mindful that – that there's always going to be a level of more that comes. Yeah. Um, there's the going to be more time. Treadmill. Yeah. More, more depravity. And it will potentially flow into, well, it will, it will flow into your real life relationships. It will come from the mind into, into real life. And your actions are not just going to impact yourself. You're going to start impacting other people. You're going to start impacting young women. And there is this message. I mean, w- girls and women have gotten the message that they have power. They mm-hmm. have power. They're, they're, they're alluring, and they can get the attention of men through sexuality, through promiscuity. But there is a price. There's a price to be paid. And I, and I know it when you look at it in the moment – it doesn't look that dangerous. Kind of like an apple. There's really kind of like an apple. A lot yeah. like an apple. Yeah. It's really not that dangerous. I mean, it's <laughs> tastes good, looks good. I mean, how how can it really be that bad? And trust the voices of those who have tasted and eaten that apple that says that there's poison in that apple. Mm-hmm. And it will follow you. It will follow you through your life. Hmm. There are ties that happen. Um, you you probably know the reference about about adultery binds the heart. About how um, fornication or having sex with someone else binds your heart with another. There's yeah. something that happens in that relationship that uh, that can impact your life far down the road. 
Yeah. And there is enough, there's going to be enough that comes against your life, against the relationship with your wife to try to tear that apart, that you don't want those memories or those thoughts of whatever that girl's name was or whoever they were to impact your relationship 20 years later with your wife. Because Satan is going to come along and he's going to put a thought in your head that said, maybe she was the one. Right. You're not supposed to be married to this girl. She was the one. And she would treat you so much better than your wife is. So anyway. That's grass a, is greener a, a, on the other grass side. Grass is greener mentality. on the other side yeah. of the fence. Grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Exactly. Applies to marriage, church, friendships, everything. Yeah. yeah. This person doesn't understand how lucky they are to be with me. Somebody That's else right. surely will. Yep. Yep. And that memory, that memory you have that you think back on is going to be tainted. It's going to be tainted. It's not going to yeah. be true. And so I say, take that arrow out of the enemy's quiver. Yeah. Just don't even put that arrow in there. Yeah, that's a good word, man. Don't even put it in there. Hmm. Well, can we, do you mind if we, we're coming up on an hour here, but I still want to circle back around to that conversation about you, a business owner, you love Jesus, but you pursue excellence. Lay that out for our our young dudes who are listening. How how do you be a Jesus-loving guy who's humble, who still goes hard after business success. Right. Well, so just a, just an ex, an example of what that looks like. Um, I'm in a uh, I'm in a marketplace that is very competitive. Uh, I have food trucks. I do I do I do mobile catering. And so when some and there's there's 200 food trucks in Des Moines. And so there's a lot of competition for events and for different shows. So not only is her event to get into these shows, but once you're in them, you're going to be parked alongside other trucks. And it is, it's probably as direct competition as, as, as there is. Yeah, Where somebody sure. has a $10 bill in their hand and I'm going to eat lunch and there's eight trucks here, where am I going to eat? Because wherever they <laughs> yeah, decide yeah. to eat... That means they're basically looking at the other seven and rolling their nose and saying, I choose you not. Right. And usually the top trucks, the top trucks don't just get a little bit more of the business. They get a lot more of the business. Okay. And so that's not truck, an even spread. It's, it is not. Yeah. If there's 10, tr- I ask a question at times, if there's 10 trucks at a food truck festival and there's a hundred customers, how many people does each truck feed? You would think the answer would be 10, and it's not. The top truck will serve 35. Okay. The next truck will serve 25. The third truck will serve 15, and that allows the scraps to the bottom seven. The bottom five will lose money that day. Yeah. They will lose money. And so those poor guys that have to be the bottom feeders, they look out their window and they see the top guys being busy. And so... Traditionally, I'm one of those top guys. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it. It's not arrogance to say that. It's 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 just a fact. Yeah. No. Just speak objectively. And so, yeah. and so, how how do I deal with that? Because I do have I do have empathy and compassion. I, I I get it. I get it. Yeah. And so, what I try to do is I try to help them step up their game. I don't lower my game. I try to help others raise theirs so that they're more successful. And at times I've given unsolicited advice. <laughs> I've gone up and said, can I give you some feedback? <laughs> uh, no? Yeah, well, yeah. I'm going to anyway because because I want to see them succeed. Yeah, 
That, yeah, man, that's good heart. And so what I have done at times is, especially trucks that are just starting out, um, I've done it at least once is I've paid the entrance fee for a truck that just can't afford, you know, $300 entrance fee to get into an event. They just can't afford it. Wow. I'll pay for him to get in. That's really cool, man. Yeah. But once we're in the event, I'm going to destroy you. <laughs> I like that mentality too. Play to the whistle, yes. right? Yeah. Play we, to the whistle. Yeah, we, we play to the we play to the whistle. Right. Um, so I'm not I'm I'm not unaware of of the fact that my success hurts others. But I, I don't feel guilty about it and it doesn't make me step down my game. Uh, how how I have come to grips with it is that I will then and, and I tried to make it as open as I can that if you want some help or have some questions, come to me and talk to me about it. Um, at times I'm perceived as arrogant or conceited because it's like, hey, this guy thinks he knows the answers. Well, I, I, I guess perception is what it is. I mean, it is what I is. I, okay. It is yeah. what, um, what you perceive it to be. Yeah. I just have to deal with it and just do my thing. Um, I also have a plan. I don't have just a plan to make more money for the sake of making more money or growing my business. I'm currently in the process of franchising my pizza business. Um, I have visions of taking that nationally. And from the beginning, I'm setting that up that we're going to start a nonprofit so that we can use what comes through that to, to, do, more, to do more work for God's kingdom. Right. And so, so ha ha have a plan beyond just having a bigger portfolio or, or more business. Yeah. Uh, you really do have to have a reason for it because if you're called to what you're doing and you're successful at what you're doing, you, you will get rewarded for it. Mm -hmm. But it has to be more than just money. It has to be more than just making, um, making a bunch of money. Yeah, yeah. Because, again, this is where we can learn from the mistakes of others is that I, I, I've read too many quotes from multimillionaires, from billionaires. I think it was Warren Buffett that said, uh, what would make me happy? Just one more million. Ah, one more million. Yeah. One more. And, and it's never enough. It's never enough. So that's probably my biggest, that, that's probably, you know, if you have, a, if you have another follow-up question, you know, that's, that would be great, but. Yeah, I no, I think that's I'm good. At. I think, you know, sometimes uh, young Christians in particular shy away from excellency because yeah. they see it as incompatible with Christ-likeness, right? They're like, right. you know, so like if you're a teacher, for instance, you, you're like, man, I don't know if I should be focusing on lesson planning so much and teacher mechanics and trying to be captivating and the way that I use rhetoric in the classroom. I, maybe I should just be reading my Bible right now and just... Um, but. I, I don't know, man. Like, I, I don't see that mentality in the scriptures. I mean, you look at the Old Testament, the first people filled with the Holy Spirit are Bezalel and Oholiab. They are the builders of the tabernacle and in the book of Exodus, and God commands them to be exact yeah. in their measurements, yeah. their precision, the yeah. beauty. You even look at Paul, who's a church planter, right. and, and he was, like, it was so far from Paul's mind to be mm -hmm. like, well... I shouldn't try because like right, my worth yeah. is in Jesus. He says, yeah, no, yeah, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And because of his grace, I've worked harder than all the others apostles. Yeah. Yet it was not I, but it was Christ working through me. So he yeah. holds that together kind of perfectly of like, I have busted my butt, yeah. but it was Jesus. Yeah. And those two things are not at odds with one another. In fact, they're yeah. married together in the thinking of the biblical writers. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think of where he, 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 he contested daily as well. I mean, he, he went nose to nose with the intellectuals of the day. That, that, that did not take a, 
a, a, a humble, you know, bottom dwelling. Oh, it's, you know, I'm, I'm nobody, nothing. No, there, there had to be boldness. And it's like, okay, right, th- right. there's my rebuttal. You say that, I say this. Yeah. Dude, he's um, a beast. And, and in Acts, it, it said they, that they marveled. They marveled at, the, at their boldness and took note that they had been with Jesus. So it was like, wait a minute, what happened to this guy who mm-hmm. at one point was kind of a mm-hmm. limp-wristed, kind of a wimpy fella? All of a sudden now he's like, you killed Jesus. I mean, he's right. this bold yeah. line, and they're like, what happened to this dude? Yeah. And it, 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 it mattered. Yeah, it had impact. Yeah, it really did. Yeah. Well, that's good. So you would say to the young dudes, like, go find a vocation you're passionate about and be the best at it that you can for the glory of God. So, Cole, this is you might find this an interesting wrinkle as well. I grew up in a church, church slash cult. Okay, yeah. That taught that sports was wrong. Right. My parents never went to a sporting event. Um. Kids, kids that grew up in my church were, were studs because they were farm boys, and they didn't play video games or watch TV. So they, they were the studs on the football team. Parents were not at the games. They yeah, would go to state. Yeah. They didn't go to state to watch their kids play. It was just the culture we were raised up in because sports, um, uh, it was a way of you trying to, to, to be better than somebody else. Worldly. It's worldly. worldly it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's rooted in pride. It's rooted in you're trying to be better than somebody else. So, so this was indoctrinated into me from the beginning. Uh, my parents didn't tell me they were proud of me. They didn't tell me they were proud of me. In fact, they would they would often say, "We are proud of you, but we're not going to tell you we're proud of you," <laughs> wow. which was interesting. Wow, because yeah. because we don't want you to get a we, we don't want you to get a big head. Right. And so it was beat into me humility, humility, humility. And believe it or not, it was an atheist that I ran across that I was talking about. We were at the Iowa State Fair, and I, you know, I won a Best New Fair Food one year. Okay. This should be good. I'm excited and, to hear this. And he said, dude, that's awesome. And I went, well, I mean, you know, I don't know. I just, you know, God blessed. You know, God blessed, and, and uh, you know, I, I can't take a lot of credit for it. And he said, dude, stop. You did that. Whatever your beliefs are, yeah. you know, if God helped you, that's great if you think that. But it's okay. It's okay to say, yeah, I, I had something to do with that. Right. And I was yeah. just like, you know what? You're right. You're right. Because it came across as false humility. He says, you're yeah, not being genuine. Yeah. Just be genuine. And it's like, yeah, I rocked that. You're right. I did. You're right. Yes. And so it, it that actually was kind of the shift for me. That got away from this wimpy, the, the, this wimpiness um, that I that I would respond to things in the past, and and it's just uh, it's just created an mm-hmm. attitude of you know let's go this is I, I have been gifted in this area it's what I love to do, and let's go uh, let let's go to the next level how far can we take this yeah well that's that's a great place to end our podcast but I'm not quite ready to end it so let me get. <laughs> Let me get one more question in, okay? Um, I I love I love this story about your experience of your your dad's humility and his willingness to correct himself when he was wrong and how quickly he was. And so, I'm not asking you to throw your dad under the bus in, in any way. I just think this is an interesting question. So yeah. here's the question: What do you wish that your dad would have taught you about being a good man? Um, believe it or not. Four days ago in Texas, 
I came face to face with this question because we did an exercise where we held hands with the man in front of us and said, what, what do you want to tell your dad? Wow. What do you want to tell your dad that you've not been able to tell him? Shut your eyes, hold your dad's hands. You're holding your dad's hands now. And what came out was that I was angry with him for dying young. And I was angry with him for never teaching me anything about business. I was raised on a farm and I, I, I was never taught anything. No, no interaction, nothing about business. Mm -hmm. And I think a good dude is transparent. And my dad wasn't as transparent with me as he could have been. I think it would have mattered to me if I heard that he struggled with some of the same things that I struggled with. Or he had doubts, some of the same doubts that I have. Mm -hmm. And so in light of the question and, and, and in light of, of, of the things that are important that I wish would have been different in the life of a man who I do respect deeply, as I wish there had been more transparency and he would have taken a bit more time um, to teach me some some of the some of the business aspects of life. I'm glad I asked that question. And that that's the end of the podcast, man. We found it. Thanks for listening to Iowa Needs Good Dudes. I'm on a quest to find the best dudes in Iowa and to tell their stories. So feel free to reach out. Send me a message on Instagram if there's anybody you think that would make a great podcast interview for this show. I got to say this. We got a one-night conference coming up on Friday night, September 15th at Frontier Church in Des Moines. It's going to start at 630, but it's going to go late into the night. We're going to have four or five different guys from a couple different churches in the area preaching. We're going to worship together. It's going to be a food truck there. And afterwards, there's going to be a bonfire for anybody who's interested in hanging around and getting to know some of the best dudes in the state of Iowa. Look, we don't care what church you go to. If you go to church, we don't care if you're a Christian dude or not. But we want you here, and we are going to shamelessly preach about Jesus. But even if church isn't your thing, come check it out, and maybe, who knows, you'll end up mixing up with some of the best dudes in the state of Iowa. Friday, September 15th at 6.30. Show up. Have a good time. Make your wife glad that she married you. <laughs>